Hello, this is Steve from Retroman Blog, and welcome to episode six of our special little series for Retrosonic Podcast, which I've entitled Lockdown Lowdown. And um, this is a little series of um, episodes where I welcome in some of my favorite musicians to chat about their musical life, really. It's sort of like a, a little Desert Island Discs soundtrack of their lives, um, uh, I suppose you could call it. And that's no pun intended because um, my next guest that I'd like to welcome into our virtual studio is uh, Ian Person from um, the Soundtrack of Our Lives and Union Carbide Productions and currently Pablo Matisse. Uh, welcome, Ian. It's good to see you again. Thank you. Good to see you too. You're coming at us live from Gothenburg in Sweden. And um, how's the lockdown over there? I guess it's uh, pretty much um, putting pay to your musical endeavours, isn't it? No gigs still? No gigs, but... Uh more sad for me the uh, film music i was supposed to do all those films and tv series are shot abroad so that was an abrupt stop or went to a grinding halt so uh, i'm i'm out of work so to speak <laughs> well no, you've always got lots of things on the go um, which we're going to cover uh, in this episode so um, i'm sure you've been keeping busy musically anyway so uh, but let's start off um, at the very beginning um Tell us, what was the very first sort of musical memory as a kid? Was there some sort of little light bulb moment where you, that you remember that you saw a band or heard a song that made you think, wow, I sort of like this music thing? Uh, yeah, it was, I can't really say that it was just that song or that, but I mean, I have three elder sisters and my dear mum, who was really into music, so she had tons of records like the George Harrison soul album. It was Elton John, Exception, that uh, Dutch band, Deep Purple, Back in Turn Overdrive, Beatles, of course, and Wings. And so somewhere between uh, All Things Must Pass with George Harrison, Harrison, Lesbian, <laughs> Status Quo, Quo, the album, and uh, Elton John, Yellow Brick Road. I think those three albums, maybe Machine Head as well, Deep Purple, listening to them in my headphones, in my, in that, we had this little chair or by the record player, somewhere there, watching the pictures of, you know, people with these guys with guitars, it, it struck a, yeah. something in me that wanted me to know the secrets behind it. Oh, right. Uh, we came, or she came from a musical family. My grandfather was, he was uh, a versatile man. He was a sea captain and a musician, so he could play any instrument. So he, and I became the same. He had sort of uh, the radio on, TV on when they came and played music at the same time. So it was always music. But uh, yeah, so the first yeah, music I got was from home, really. Yeah. I mean, I was five, six years old at the time. Oh, okay. And what was the first record that you went out and bought with your own money? So, you know, you've had enough of your family's um, record collection. You want to go and get your own little record. What was the first record that you, you went down with your pocket money to the records? I think, I think, and I'm quite sure it was Stranglers and The Raven in '79. Oh. I was 10 years old. Because uh, yeah. we, we'd started 
skateboarding some friends of mine and somewhere along the line skateboarding and sort of punk music went hand in hand kind of difficult to get hold of like black flag and minor threat those albums in sweden but thank god <laughs> my hands on a stranglers album which i totally loved yeah it's a great choice you know so should we play the title track to the album absolutely brilliant song yeah. love it Nah, it's a great track, and uh, let's hear it, let's hear it. The Raven from The Stranglers, um, and from the album Raven. Yeah, that's a fantastic choice. You know, well, you know, I'm a big Stranglers fan as well, you know, and it's uh, sad news about Dave Greenfield passing away, wasn't yeah. it? It's um, yeah, very sad. But uh, a fantastic band. and um, Yeah, I think they were sort of, uh, I mean, in between, you couldn't really put them in a box together with sort of Sex Pistols or Clash. Uh, but I mean, I mean, Clash wasn't, wasn't in a box either. They did other stuff that was punk. But I guess they started out bit more punky and then found other ways of, mm. of, of writing songs and uh, but I still think it sort of had the punk core to it yeah it was definitely yeah you're right so you, you mentioned sort of skateboarding but probably a bit different to to UK where I think in Sweden it seems that you took more of that Orange County west coast of America hardcore punk and skateboarding thing where they like you said that the punk and skateboard went hand in hand but it didn't really happen so much in the uk you know but i think i mean even even in our little town gothenburg there was sort of people that thought that we were uh, we weren't punk because we didn't have spiky hair and leather jackets because we were more into the sort of california like yeah. i said or punk scene but of course we listened to english punk music as well. To us, it wasn't, all right, we're skateboarders, we're just going to listen to American music. 
Mm. But uh, so we, we try to broaden our minds. Yeah. But in, in our little community, most of us, we started out skateboarding and, and then punk was the music. So. Yeah. Um, so what was the first um, gig that you went to? Can you remember the first show? Uh, yes, it was... Uh, my mum worked at this... Uh, actually, at the same place at Ebbots. Uh, mother worked in a child psychiatric uh, award, you can say. Yeah. There was supposed to be a gig there with some uh, uh, friends of my sister. This was like at 77 or something. I can't actually remember what they played, covers probably, but uh, I think that was sort of the first gig mm. I ever saw and sort of Still, I got intrigued. Um, and then what was the first gig that you went to that you actively, you know, you, you knew you were going to, you bought tickets and, you know. Uh, that was just a couple of years later. Uh, now I'm not sure, 79 or 1980. And it was a band, Swedish band called Ebba Grön, which was a code word for a covert operation uh, for Swedish sort of uh, secret police. Fantastic band. And they were getting, with the album... They released in 79, they got really, really big in Sweden. I mean, I was 10 years old and no one cared if I was, you know, just just as long as you paid, you got in. They served out the hall and everything. So, And they started out with a song with a, with a singer. And he, he, anyway, he started out with a guitar, just sang a song with electric guitar first. And he looked all like... It was filled with amphetamine. <laughs> I didn't know that at the time, but I was like, oh. And then they just bashed on, and uh, uh, I just got totally blown away. Oh, sounds great. And, and they were one of, one of Sweden's first punk bands, weren't they? They were quite an early band. Yeah, they were early. They, uh, I think the song we were about to hear was released like in 77, maybe, 78. Uh, fantastic mm. band. I think, you know, you've got a great example of, um, of their music. So which song have you, have you picked for us? It's called uh, Hang Gud in Swedish, and it actually means hang God. <laughs> so they wanted to kill God. <laughs> but it's a, really, it's a really funny lyric. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll translate it for you once. But... <laughs> well, let's hear it. Yeah, brilliant.
Yeah, that's a great track. Yeah, I love it. Hang on. <laughs> that was a classic punk lyric, isn't it? You know. <laughs> he doesn't like you. Is it a she or is it a he? <laughs> <laughs> well, very philosophical question. Yeah, it is. Really. <laughs> so, so obviously you're a, you're a fan, you know, from an early age. So, so what was the, something happened that made you want to pick up a guitar or start to form a band or become a musician? Was there anything, any specific incident or record that you thought, wow, I want to do this. I want to get up and play. I think it was a, a, a variety of things. Uh, when I listened to those earlier records uh, with the George Harrison and stuff like that, I, I, my sisters had this kind of diary thing called My Friends. So you gave that diary to one of your friends and they wrote, what do you want to be? And da, da, da. And one of my sisters gave it to me. Oh, you have to write in my book. And I wrote, I want to be a guitarist and work in a guitar shop. And I was six years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, at one point, I, I, I wanted to play the guitar. But I think it was sort of when the punk came that I actually sort of felt like, and, and some of my friends started to play around with like drums and a bass and, and it was sort of, um, all right, maybe it isn't so hard. Maybe I can give it a go. Mm. So I was given a guitar on my birthday when I, when I was nine, I think. So uh, I guess it was the early days and just seeing those cool pictures and guitar heroes mm. uh, and then sort of the punk era that sort of let you in and said, it's just give it a go. Mm. So have you, have you got any favourite guitarists now that you, you sort of particularly like? Uh, there's so many. Jimmy Page is sort of a, an overall guy I like because he's, he's also quite sloppy at times. I mean, he's, mm. he's uh, an intuition. He just plays and it just happens and it's not always so technically brilliant. But then, I mean, Greg Jinn from Black Flag, I think is totally unreal there's no one that plays like him and yeah. now maybe when he when he came those solos that just were from i don't know out of space and um, did black flag ever make it to sweden did you see them play yeah in 84 big row of course big fights between <laughs> uh, sort of the proper punks and the skateboard hooligan punks <laughs> so uh, i'll standing in the corner, hoping that no one would beat me up. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favourite Black Flag track? Nah, but, I mean, Rice Above is brilliant. Rise above, we're gonna 
That was, a, that was a great song. That's Black Flag and Rise Above. And um, so obviously, you know, you've been to see some great bands um, over the years. Was there anything sp- particularly that stands out for you? Uh, since, well, yeah, I've shit loads of gigs that were brilliant. Uh, uh, I mean, the Stooges, when they reformed, we played Coachella with soundtrack and saw them totally blew my mind. Uh, I saw uh, Funkadelic and Bootsy Collins. Um, Prince in 1987 were brilliant in that sense. Uh, Every time I saw Silver Bullet, I was blown away. Yeah. But I think one of the, which I always come back to, is when I saw The Who at Royal Albert Hall. And we were on tour in England. And then we've been, I think we played the day before. I was extremely hungover. Extremely. And I was lying in bed and my telephone kept ringing and I said, like, I can't be fucking bothered. After like 10 times, I answered, it was Matthias. Like, Wake up, you lazy soul. The Who are playing. You can't miss the Who. And I'm like, all right. And you, you know, when you feel so bad, you, you just want to die. But I think like, okay, I must pull my shit together and go and see this band. So I just like, so you went from an extremely poor state into some pub close to the venue. And you were struck by all these big guys with Who t-shirts drinking away and... And uh, so, of course, I felt like a million bucks pretty soon. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we we hung out a bit with Roger Daughtry's daughter at the time. So they had gotten us tickets, but we had to pay for them because it was uh, like a cancer. Mm. uh, Oh, yeah. Teenage Cancer Trust. Yeah. Of course, we paid gladly, but because it was so hard to even get tickets. Mm. So we were standing perfect seats with sort of the band's crowd and uh, and they started and it was it was absolutely brilliant and Pete he fell off stage at one point he was just like jumping around and I think it was the Ox last gig before he uh, uh, yeah. died unfortunately I know it's a difficult choice but um, pick your, your favourite Who track there are many but Bob O'Reilly is one of my absolute favorite songs of all time, so let's hear that one.
Yeah, fantastic. The Who and Barbara O'Reilly, great choice. Great guitarist to, to be inspired by as well, I guess, Pete Townsend. I mean, I know Matthias, your colleague in Soundtrack of Allies, was so obsessed, he even had a Union Jack jacket, didn't he, like Pete Townsend? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your first band? I mean, going back, did you sort of form a band as a, as a at school or did you audition through ads in the music press or...? No, no, but I, I could never audition for a band. I was too scared and thought that I sucked on guitar. So, uh, no, we, we started a band, the same guys we skateboarded with. They named it after me because <laughs> I was their little mascot. So it was Ian and Junk was the band's name. <laughs> and we actually recorded... Uh, 10 songs with uh, Bussevin, right, of the Spotniks. Oh. I mean, the Spotniks, uh, 60s, sort yeah. of guitar shadows band. And he was totally devastated when we got in there. <laughs> Just, and he was like, oh my God, are you done soon? <laughs> he, he, he had to do it as a favour for our drummer, because right. our drummer's mother knew him and said, oh, my boy's playing the band, can you help them out? And he was like, Jesus Christ, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> oh, no. So did you ever release this, these songs? Did they ever get an official release? No, no, no. It was, uh, I mean, I was 11 at the time and the other guys were like between 16 and 18. And you were 11? 11 years yeah. old? <laughs> yeah. I had my first gig outside Gothenburg when I was 12 in Stockholm. And the oldest guy was 18 and he drove the car to the skateboard competition. And we played with two other bands and to this day understand how my mother could let me go on this. But <laughs> I started counting the leaves while everybody's behind. I'm waiting here for the me. They will inherit this time. And everybody's laughing when you see. How did you get into Union Carbide production? What were you? How did how did you get involved with those guys? The thing was that the the other guys in that first punk band I was in, they later formed a band called the Stone Funkers, which I joined after Carbide in '95 for to do an album. But those guys knew the guys in Carbide, and uh, somehow Ebot got sort of knew that I played guitar and, and just by chance Bjorn who drops out of every band dropped out and uh, he just gave me a, a call mm. and I I hesitated as I said I thought I was shit on guitar and with sort of uh, so I uh, I, li- I was living at home at the time and I just told my mom if, if he calls tell him I'm not home <laughs> but he was big boy was very 
persistent. So at the, the end, it just came up with the cards. You have to come now and yeah. play. <laughs> so they physically dragged you into the band rehearsal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more or less. <laughs> I mean, obviously, Union Carbide Productions would, would now become a, a legendary band in Sweden, you know, and um, they were unfortunately never really known in, in the UK at the time, but I know they were popular in America and um, with a lot of famous musicians, you know, like Sonic Youth and the New York scene. Yeah, um, um, it was, yeah. But it was a band who was loved by by their colleagues, I think. There wasn't, the audience wasn't... Uh, at one point, uh, what the fuck is the name of the record company? Mud Honey and Nirvana, wasn't it? Oh, Sub Pop. Yeah, they wanted to sign Carbine. Maybe something has happened then. But somehow it sort of didn't happen. Mm. So maybe maybe with with a with a backing of a of a record company like that, maybe it could have sort of. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, they would have been more people, sort of. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, they they would have been huge in in the UK. I think if if they'd have had any press or publicity, you know. I mean, they they was and and I think now they're getting a bit of recognition, you know, and um, which is good news. It's um it's often the same, isn't it? That the originators get left behind when more commercial yeah. bands come along. But uh, So let's pick a track, um, again, a very difficult choice, but um, pick a track that you particularly like from your Union Carbide Productions days. Uh, yeah, I was thinking, because uh, recording that album was, was uh, kind of special. It was the first time I was in sort of a proper studio in a band, and I wrote quite a lot of, of sort of the, the framing of a few songs and uh, it was during the Kuwait war. So we started sort of recording when, when the war started. So it was sort of, and you could actually, I mean, we all remember, you could watch the war on TV as it happened. Mm. So it was kind of special to sort of record an album in, in that atmosphere. But I've chosen uh, the last song of, of, from Influence to Ignorance called Coda. And um, I guess I, I nicked <laughs> the, the feeling from Alice Cooper it wasn't the first time it won't be the last uh, just love those early Alice Cooper records but uh, the song sort of uh, sums up the feeling of, of, of what we felt that autumn what I felt sort of the, the war going on and sort of a bit of end of the world feeling so yeah. it's a long psychedelic journey well, let's, let's hear that. Let's hear Coda, and uh, this is a fantastic track uh, by Union Carbide Productions.
Yeah, that's a good choice because I think it um, it, it sort of shows more of the psychedelic side and, and often like there's a lot of the sort of bit of Eastern influence music there as well, which you would take on probably to soundtrack of our lives, you know, and like we were talking earlier about Golden Age, you know, the Union Carbide production song, which was a bridge between probably the punk side of Union Carbide and more of the psychedelic side of music that you would take on to soundtrack of our lives. So Coda is a good choice, you know. It's a- I think... Uh- I think some of sort of the hardcore fans of Union Carbide got pissed off when, when that album came because it didn't have that raw energy. It was something else, sort of a, a development. Uh, I mean, I didn't have those raw songs in me. I had something else. Yeah. And uh, Airbot had a, uh, wanted to produce the album in sort of a 60s feel to it as well. So like in Golden Age, the drums are in just at, at one side and... It was sort of a, a way of moving on, I mm. think. Sort of mainstream people liked it more. I'm proud of that album. I think it's really good. And you mentioned earlier Stone Funkers and um, the, the, the band singer Emric seemed yeah. to be quite. He seemed to be quite a big figure on the Gothenburg music scene. You know, like um, he seemed to be involved in introducing and facilitating lots of bands and lots of introducing people to everybody. And I think he's a figure which is sort of overlooked, isn't he, in the Gothenburg yeah, music scene? absolutely. I mean, he was also this guy who, uh, he was the first of our group that went over to America as an exchange student to Washington. And he, he was into sort of a bit of punk, and, but he was into skateboard mainly. But then he sort of hung out with people who was into funk and the dance scene and the hip-hop scene that were just starting... Well, the hip-hop scene was just starting out then mm. with Grandmaster Flash and all of that. And he came back with all Sugar Hill Gang, and which also influenced us quite a lot. Uh, as kids, you sort of... You're like a sponge. New music. Wow, this was cool. And yeah. so you had sort of skating with Black Flag, and the next song was sort of some uh, Sugar Hill Gang Rapper's Delight song. And uh, so, I mean, he introduced that whole thing to Gothenburg, I think, and with Stonefunkers. And uh, the Stonefunkers was also about to, like Union Carbide, they were first out, they, they did, they were quite big, actually quite a lot bigger than <laughs> Carbide at the time in, in the late 80s, early 90s. And, uh, but I guess at the end, they sort of blew all the connections with the record companies. So now you, 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 we can't, with you people <laughs> and you, you you mentioned that you actually joined the band um, for a little bit as well and uh... it was uh, we uh, we ended up with Union Carbide in December of 93 and I just floated around for a year and then me and Bjorn from Soundtrack we had this uh, a cover band called Ugly All Stars <laughs> that played uh, like old funk songs, Ohio players and, and stuff like that, Funkadelic. And, and they saw me and they were like, fuck, you can actually play funk guitar. Great, let's, we're, we're going to Amsterdam to record an album. Like, yeah, Amsterdam? All right, let's go. <laughs> so uh, we were outside Amsterdam in a small town called Harlem mm-hmm. uh, for like uh, four weeks recording this album. And uh, it was mayhem. <laughs> <laughs> if if Unicorboy was a dysfunctional group, this was ten times worse. <laughs> <laughs> and this album was called Material, wasn't it? Yeah, Material. And yeah. 
But we toured quite a lot. We never made it to England, I think, but we around in Europe and like Montreux Jazz Festival, which was weird, but yeah, yeah. it was a, a fun year with them. Yeah. And pick a track from material then that you particularly... Uh, we can listen to a, a, a song called Mardi Gras Stomp, which is a, a, a nice little track. Fantastic. Well, let's hear that. This is the Stone Funkers and Mardi Gras Stomp. Probably what most people would know you for over here in the UK, and that is, is you joined the soundtrack of our lives. And um, I'm not going to go too much into the, the history of the band because we've done podcasts with you and specifically about soundtrack previously. Um, and obviously, anyone can still get the episodes in our Retrosonic podcast archive on iTunes or um, Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud, um, where we've interviewed you and Ebert and Frederick and uh, Matthias about various histories of soundtrack of our lives. So, you know, this episode is more about you and your music. So, um, so obviously it was a big part of your musical um, journey. Yeah. How, you, how, how did you get to join soundtrack of our lives? Uh, it was, I mean, me and Bjorn, we had that ugly all-star thing, but then I had a friend who did like ski and snowboard movies which I knew, and I'd been living with him in France for two years, snowboarding in the late 80s. And so he asked me if I could write some music for his films. And uh, so, and me and Bjorn started to write some music together. And Bjorn came up with like Mantra Slider riff and uh, one other song that actually became a soundtrack song. And he said, why don't we call Ebot? and see if he can sing. So they, they, there are versions of Mantra Slider where he sings a totally different lyric about sort of skiing because he was taking the piss. Uh, so that was one part of getting soundtrack together. But then Bjorn also played with Kalle and Frederick in another project. So it sort of emerged slowly into like, all right, now we, these people are going to play. It was a um, fairly, fairly quick process to get to a sort of a, a new band 
from all these little projects sort of um and again this is going to be a difficult question but um is there a particular soundtrack of our lives song that you're particularly proud of uh i've could have chosen several of course <laughs> with a story but i think sort of instant repeat there was a song that put us on the map and when we were going to record the first ep we didn't intend to even record that song because firmament vacation was supposed to be sort of the single and we have recorded uh, a couple of demos of our own that we sort of released on cassette back in the day. <laughs> but we had fiddled around. I had sort of a riff, and uh, I think we just rehearsed it a couple of days before. We never played it live. We recorded all the songs, and then we just like, no, nah, we need to, ever thought, let's give it a go on that song. Mm. And we just sort of wrote it, finalized it in sort of a couple of hours and just like, all right, here we go. And the actual take, it's funny because in the middle, I start to do the riff again and Big Boy actually pulled, I mean, he stepped on my chord so that the actual guitar stopped sounding and he was like, oh, what's happening? But someone, the producer, just like Ooh, pushed it in again and we actually, so you can't hear it, unfortunately. I think maybe you can, but it was sort of a song that, when we just recorded it, we felt like, wow, this was, this was something else. What a sort of, and Firmament Vacation didn't end up on that EP, yeah. uh, which had other great songs. I mean, yeah. Galaxy was fucking fantastic when we recorded it. But it was sort of a, a, a song that was really easy to write, to, to record, and, and it sort of made our way out of... Well, let's hear it. I mean, this is what I've I've heard has been reported as uh, Sweden's unofficial national anthem by many people <laughs> over in Sweden. <laughs> so let's hear the soundtrack of our lives from the debut album, Welcome to the Infinite Freebase. And this is the classic Instant Repeater 99.
And it's very difficult for me to stop myself from turning this into a, just a soundtrack of our lives <laughs> episode. But like I said, you know, we've done, there's lots of great stuff for you to listen to at Retrosonic Podcast um, to find out more about that chapter of Ian's life. Um, and obviously, you, you know, since Soundtrack finished, you've been keeping busy um, doing lots of varied stuff. I mean, we've already done a podcast with you regarding your soundtrack to the IFK Gothenburg documentary, yeah. um, Football's Last Proletariats. Um, yes. Or you can say it in Swedish. Footballens sista proletärer. <laughs> and that, that was great because, um, as I said, we did, we did an interview with you about that and then i ended up um, meeting up with glenn hissen and the yeah. movie directors and doing a podcast with them and it was uh, it was great to be talking football and music with them yeah. when i met them in london that was a fantastic episode which again you can get on retrosonic oh, i was a great pleasure to meet him especially glenn you know he was glenn. my son's middle name is glenn of course <laughs> <laughs> well there is this thing about gothenburg isn't there that so many kids were called glenn uh, uh, you had five guys in the team yeah. who were all named Glenn, <laughs> which is really, really weird. And one of my favourite things that I've ever seen in Gothenburg in terms of like uh, a souvenir in the tourist office, I think, was selling it, or, or maybe um, Rock Sounds Record Shop or something, was a like a Ramones logo, and it has like Gothenburg on the top, and then it's got Glenn, 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 Glenn around the logo. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's brilliant. That was a great soundtrack that you did for that movie. You know, I mean, you must have been quite honoured to have been asked to participate, especially as you're a big IFK fan. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, it was, uh, yeah, I'm speechless, you know. <laughs> but it was an era. I, I started uh, going to IFK games in that same, in 1981, 1982, when they won the UEFA Cup and sort of unbelievable journey that team did from just a couple of years before they were at the bottom so so it was great fun and they had the, the directors had a, an, an idea sort of that each the music should be in a certain way and we think it can do it uh, sort of like down to earth working class music in a sense mm. and yeah yeah it's a great movie i recommend Anybody, I mean, not not just if you're a fan of football, because it's one of those movies which works on every level. You know, like you said, the underdogs from the working class city going on to to win the UEFA Cup. You know, and it's 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 a great film. Did you ever release the soundtrack as a as a record as a separate? No, it's it's out on Spotify and iTunes. Yeah, but uh, not on vinyl. Maybe one day. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. It's great. As I said, check out our Retrosonic podcast episode about that uh, football and sister proletera. How did, how did I say that? Proletera. Proletariat. Sound like the Swedish chef or something there, but I'll. But it's, it's a great, uh, a great film and, and great music.
you, you've been sort of quite varied in your musical output because you're you're now in a fantastic band, Pablo Matisse, who we'll play in a little bit. Going back to those early days of your skateboarding and, and like you're playing sort of good, sort of quite hardcore punk again, but you're also balancing it with this fantastic movie soundtrack and TV work. Um, so you've got a nice balance between the two styles of music now, haven't you? Do you enjoy doing the soundtrack work? Actually, I, yeah, I love it. It's, <laughs> I'm trying to explain. It's, uh, I mean, you're, you're someone else's tool in one sense, because you have a director and a producer who wants something and you, you are the tool to, to make their sound come true. But then you, you create it. It's your thing, sort of. So me and Kalle from Soundtrack are working together on almost all the stuff mm. with, concerning film and TV shows. And uh, it's uh, yeah, it's really it's extremely good fun to um, to be able to sort of help a scene and create an atmosphere and uh, there are no rules anywhere in 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 sort of film score. I think you can do whatever depending on how uh, the generosity of the director sort of yeah it's it's. Uh, a very nice way of of uh, using your creativity, I think. So, tell us about the the Eternal Road. Uh, that this was uh, a film, uh, a Finnish film that were released in two thousand seventeen, I think, and it went to win the most awards in Finland ever. So we were nominated for best score. We actually went to Finland, and we don't speak Finnish, uh, which was quite fun. <laughs> So the whole ceremony and the award is in Finnish and people tend to drink quite a lot, as we do as well. But in Sweden now, when you have these kind of awards, you're not, you're not allowed to drink because they know people fuck up. But in Finland, you're still allowed. So it was mayhem and it was so much fun. Unfortunately, we didn't win, but the picture itself won shitloads oh. of awards. But it was, it's a film it's during the 1920s there was a movement of right-wing people that wanted to get rid of anyone who was, or they thought were left-wing. So they actually beat them over the head and drove them to the Soviet Union. And so that's one part of the story. And they they tried to overthrow the whole government in Finland, but were shot in the end. Uh, so you follow this guy that is abducted and he comes to the Soviet Union, but there are quite a lot of people that want to go to Soviet Union. So they're looking for a utopia in these collective farms. There are Swedes and Canadians and Americans who, who want to live this life. And it's actually quite nice, but in the early stages of the film, Stalin is sort of thinking that, nah, maybe these guys are just spies. Mm. And uh, so it's a true story. He, Stalin killed about two or three million immigrants. And uh, uh, so you follow this guy's life because he, he's there for 10 years. Mm getting on with his life and then it, it all falls apart of course yeah and uh, but it's a uh, well it's a terrifying movie and it's true sort of uh, eternal road and um, coming to the music finally this director was very very Finnish talking very like this <laughs> uh, I want minimalistic music we're like okay wow but well, we did some, I mean, and it was very minimalistic. It was me and Kalle, I'm playing some guitar, doing small sort of stuff. I did one theme, but, and he said, you're a genius. We're like, wow, cool. 
And we didn't hear anything. And all of a sudden, one month left before the actual movie was supposed to be done. He comes and he said, guys, I've under-directed. I want much more music. I want a big orchestra music. <laughs> and we're like, what? <laughs> so all hell breaks loose. And so we actually had to call the Swedish Gothenburg Symphony Orchestra down to Tally Studio. And just like, all right, do this quickly now. <laughs> so, uh, but it became a really good collaboration and very, very, uh, a, a big score, sort of. So it's gone from a minimalist score to a full Gothenburg Symphony Orchestra score. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was mad. But uh, it all went, turned out well in the end. It's good to hear. It sounds like an interesting movie as well. So um, let's, should we play the theme tune to the movie? Yeah. Great, that's the theme to The Eternal Road um, by Ian Person and Kalle Gustafsson Jernholm. Yes, indeed, sir. So then you've also um, t- talked to me about uh, Box 21. Yes, that was the most recent thing we did, me and Kalle. So it was a, uh, a TV series, uh, like sw- Swedish authors writing uh, sort of crime novel, but more of a, uh, the main thing is prostitution from Eastern Europe and how that works in, in Sweden, in, in every country, I guess. But that's the main, main, main thing, the thing in, in this series. So it's very dark and sad and scary. Has it been broadcast yet in Sweden? Yes, on uh, it's on a, a sort of what do you call it? Pay you have to pay. Pay for per view or yeah, sort of yeah. Or you subscribe to this channel, sort of. Um, or hopefully, because you know we love our Nordic noir or Scandic drama over here in the UK. So maybe Channel Four or BBC will snap up the series and show it over here. Hopefully, hopefully. And you've um, you've sent me a sort of, a sort of track from from the TV series. Um, uh, this is called Sam and Jochum. A couple of guys who have a, a very special relationship. One of the guys is uh, a hitman, and the other one is a sort of heroin addict. And the hitman is supposed to kill this guy all the time, but he tends to be his friend. And and uh, this is a moment where maybe it doesn't go so well. Who knows? And um, but uh, I think this turned out really well for the for the film. Sounded great, and um, of course, your your first sort of solo album was really came from another t- 
TV series, wasn't it, called Diamonds in the Rough? Oh, yeah. Uh, which is available as an album, which is a, is a fantastic record. And um, that, that was something which was... Uh, I don't think that TV series actually got broadcasted, did it? Or? The only time in Swedish national TV history that they actually did 90% of the series and then just was this big row between the director and the producer and they just put it in a vault and mm. never showed it. But I, I was kind of like, ah, let, let's release the album or the music anyway. And I just, I don't know, I just called it Diamonds in the Rough. I should have, I mean, it should have been sort of film score music by Ian Person. Mm. There was no film you could see. So I was in a bit of a dilemma. I, I, I know that most people or in, in the business didn't really believe me when I said it, it actually was for a film. It's like, yeah, you're just scared to make a, a solo album and you're pretending <laughs> to do the, you know, yeah, whatever. It's a great album because, um, and it, it sort of mixes, is it the mix of both sort of real rock songs and pop songs and, and also soundtrack music as well, isn't it? It's not just like a score. So um, it's, it's a really great record in its own right. And then your first real solo album under your own name was Exit Highway of Light. And yeah. that was that great to get your first album out under your own name? Yeah, that was, uh, that felt, yeah, it was brilliant. Uh, took a long time. I mean, I started to record songs sort of two months after soundtrack split up with uh, Don Alsteberg and uh, Jose Gonzalez, amongst other stuff. And uh, we recorded like 20 songs, but then uh, sort of the whole business changed and unfortunately no one wanted to release. <laughs> so I was sort of, I was stuck with my songs and I just felt like, yeah, well, I'll get there eventually. It's not the end of the world, sort of. So uh, half of that album is from that session and I recorded new songs with uh, as well when Welfare wanted to release the album. Instead of continuing with the solo stuff um, for the time being, you've formed a band with her from Division of Laura Lee, and it's called Pablo Matisse. And as I sort of alluded to earlier, you've sort of gone back a little bit to the hardcore punk days with this band. It's, it's, it's a 
you released some fantastic records, you know. And uh, how did this little collaboration come about? Well, it, it started out when when I contacted Per with my songs about sort of my solo endeavors, because he has this record company, Welfare Sounds and Records. And uh, we started to hang out quite a lot. And he had already formed a band in his head with two of his younger mates. So they had sort of the first EP, those songs were already done. And he said, I want to sing in a band and not play guitar. Do you want to play guitar in a hardcore band? I was like, yeah, of course, definitely. And uh, I didn't even hear the songs. And then I heard them and I was like, damn, blew me away. And threw me back into the age of 12 again, as he said. <laughs> so I even started to skateboard again and reckoning, <laughs> wrecking my bones and knees and hands. Uh, but it was a great feeling. So uh, Yeah, it, it's a great band. I mean, I, I was really blown away you know as, as you said you were I mean I was blown away when I heard the first first record because it's such a great sound a great production and it just sort of it just blasts out of the speakers doesn't it you know it's uh, really fresh exciting it's, it's great music you know and um, are you going to pick a track from Pablo Matisse to yes let's hear one from the latest uh, EP called Is There Anybody Out There nice little track fantastic track by Pablo Matisse called Is There Anybody Out There from Human Warmth. Another podcast we did with you a couple of years ago when I was in Gothenburg was I interviewed you and Frederick about your work with um, the Swedish legendary singer Jerry Williams uh, where you did a fantastic album with him Um, and I said we've already done the um, podcast really when we discussed the album in in length and that was a great collaboration and I, it sort of reminded me, as I said at the time, was the, the work that, say, Johnny Cash did when he was this sort of, um, this older singer who's been reinvigorated and, and you got him back playing sort of some surprising cover versions. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, being being that sort of legend in Sweden, it was. I was a bit intimidated. He was up for doing whatever, and he trusted sort of me to to give him songs that were cool to do. And so he was. He was a good game, good guy. So on the album, you've um, you've got him doing Stooges covers and. Um... And you've picked one here, which is a great choice. Uh, which one have you gone for? Ghost Rider, uh, and uh, yeah, it was it was the first one we recorded, and just to hear his voice come to life in in the headphone, I was just like, I was blown away. Great. Well, let's hear Jerry Williams and his version of Suicide's Ghost Rider. And this is from the album Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider motorcycle hero. Baby, 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 she's looking so cute Riding around in a blue jumpsuit A ghost rider motorcycle hero Baby, 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 she's blazing away Like the stars, stars, stars in the universe I guess over your time with Union Carbide Productions and Soundtrack of Our Lives and you're talking about Jerry Williams and you must have met quite a lot of um, some of your musical heroes over the over the course of your career and I know with Soundtrack in particular you know you always seem to be the musician's favourite band you know so every time I used to see you there would be celebrities in the audience and famous musicians hanging around and <laughs> it must have been great to be that to be so popular with your fellow musicians Yeah absolutely it was uh, of course when you heard now that that guy is in the audience of these blah 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 and I'm like is that true <laughs> and uh, I mean it was when the Oasis guys they saw this show early in London I wasn't them big boys like, yeah, yeah 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 I was up there I saw them they were scared shitless <laughs> and, uh, yeah we met loads of people and I mean most of them were extremely really cool guys and gals to sit down and talk with and having a good time. I mean, with Oasis, we have, you had sort of a, a, a closer relationship. Uh, I, I mean, I met them first time in 94 in a soccer match, actually. Strangely enough, in, a, in uh, this festival in Sweden. And it's sort of, yeah, it's a great band. And, and all of a sudden you're on tour together and you're having a marvelous time. So you sort of, they went from just this band from England to, to sort of your friends. But I mean, it was it was brilliant and Noel's always been a fantastic supporter of Soundtrack and gaining weight and helping us out. And so that, I mean, that was fantastic to, to do those tour with them. How many special people change? How many lives are living strange? Where were you while we were getting high? Slowly walking down the hall Faster than a cannonball Where were you while we were getting high? Someday you will find me 
and a champagne supernova in the sky. Someday you will find me carving beneath the landslide in a champagne supernova, a champagne supernova in the sky. And we met like Robert Plant and we did a tour with him in America, which was uh, totally unreal as well. And he was extremely nice. He was sort of always inviting us into his dressing room. Come on, guys, let's uh, and telling stories about the old days. Maybe not so much the Zeppelin days, but before the Zeppelin days and like what he liked, all the 50s band. And his, his guests came in and you met these sort of old legends who were 70, 80 years old in the dressing room. What's a funny that film almost famous? You remember that one? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and that was on everyone's lips at the time. And we came out of our tour bus. <laughs> Matthias had this suede jacket with uh, fringes, and people were screaming like, "Hey, almost famous!" <laughs> <laughs> I remember a, a classic thing when you performed at the Swedish Polar Prize. And, oh yeah, um, and it was great because you you were performing a set of cover versions of. Led Zeppelin songs, and you had like they were in the front row, weren't they, looking at you? So you must have. Been... Yeah, yeah. That was unreal. Yeah, we, we just did the tour with Robert Plant. So thank God, otherwise, we'd probably be ex- more nervous than we were. So we had some sort of connection with him. You could look at him and he could wink at you. But yeah, that was quite unreal. I, I know you're a big fan of Led Zeppelin. So pick a, pick a good Led Zeppelin song for us. Uh, we take an early one, Good Times, Bad Times, from the first album.
that was uh, Led Zeppelin and Good Times, Bad Times. Talking about people that, that you, you met over the years, sort of um, musicians, and uh, we had some sad news, didn't we, a, a couple of days ago, that Denise Johnson had passed away, who probably most well-known for singing with Primal Scream. And um, we, I met her with you at, before the soundtrack gig in the Scala at King's Cross of well, way back now, but she was such a lovely lady. And, that's, and I know you've been working with her recently, hadn't you, as well, which is um, it's even sadder. Yeah, we, uh, me, Frederick, and Kala, and Kala's wife, and this other girl had a band in, a, in this strange TV show in Sweden. It's a sort of a quiz show, but it's sort of well known for having live music. So you have sort of people making a career in this show. And, and we thought of Denise, uh, we, must, we must get her over to, so we can do something together, because we, um, we recorded an album with her and her uh, other half of her band, they were called Honestly Express Yourself, this French guy called Fab, uh, which is an absolutely, absolutely brilliant album, which I don't ever know it's going to see the light of day. Uh, yeah, so that's when we met her and got, got to know her because they were here for like two months or something. Uh, so she, I guess she, she did this as a favour for us to do this TV show. And uh, yeah, so we were extremely sad to, to hear that she passed away. She was an, I mean, she was a good laugh, very, I mean, brilliant singer and just so fun to hang out with. Yeah, cool, cool chick. Yeah, it's uh, sad news. Um, but uh, so, uh, well, hopefully some of the music that she's recorded will, will be released in the future. So um, fingers crossed for that. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. That album, I mean, Kelly played bass and I'm playing guitar with Fab and Frederick plays the drums. So it's, it's sort of in the sense of in that sort of Oasis soundtrack, Primal Scream music uh, vibe, I think. Um, we'll see. So you must have played some fantastic shows. I mean, I know I've seen a lot of them over the years, but um, you must have played some great shows over the, over the years of your own. What, 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 what have been any that have been particularly memorable for you? Uh, when I think about the shows with soundtrack, I, I tend to come back to, we did a show in Toronto in 2002, and it was the tour with behind the music, and I mean we were up and rising, and uh, I mean the sky's the limit. If, and we came to this sold-out opera house. I don't know, maybe a thousand people, and you know, great atmosphere. And uh, we had the guys from Warner, the big boss, came in and was like, "Oh, you guys, I will love you. This is going to be great." And 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 then Matthias is like, "Let's play." Uh, I think the Rush Sanadu, the intro, like, and people were just going ape shit, just like, whoa! <laughs> and uh, felt like it, the, the show went on forever or for one second. It was just like mm. magic. Uh, and maybe it was sort of a, a peak on that North American tour we had mm. done. I think it was one of the last shows we did, and it was sort of six or seven weeks of just pure madness and heaven at the same time. Sort of that was uh, one of the great moments, I think. Uh, and then we have sort of, of course, the, the last tour we did, and we played like two shows in Gothenburg, which was also extremely memorable in, in, in a sense. But then we were sort of wrapping, wrapping the band up. Mind the gap, mind your head, mind the things. 
as your mother said Mind the future, mind the past If you think we move too fast Mind when green turns to red Mind the people that are dead And the things they've said and done If it turns you on Cause you can draw the line Don't throw your pearls at swine Mind the fame, mind the ones who live in shame Mind the missions you fulfill And the people that you kill Mind the dead you cast out And the fields full of doubt Mind the circle that you're in When it all begins Cause you can draw the line Don't throw your Let's go back to you as a as a music fan and um, uh, give us an example of your of a perfect sort of forty five single. You know, it's like one of those classic seven inch singles. Extremely difficult, but uh, a classic single shouldn't be more than three ten maybe, <laughs> and then it's an opera for being a single. So, uh, but I've could I mean, there's so many great. Like Buscox did shitloads of great single Ramones, but um, I've chosen uh, an old classic with Creedence Clearwater Revival, Fortunate Son. And the next question is, 
probably probably even harder because um, give me an example of a of a perfect album, and I don't mean this is difficult because it's not just like a good album by a band you like, but like a, a perfect album. So it's got to be the cover art's got to be good, you know, the production's got to be good, the the track listing has got to be perfect, the sequencing, and there's no filler, you know, you don't want to skip a track, and and so it's got to be a whole package, you know. So you know, for me, you, you're thinking like, never mind the bollocks, Londy's parallel lines. Soundtrack of our lives behind the <laughs> behind the music, if I can say that. <laughs> yeah, um, actually, the last one. <laughs> yeah, so give us a, and I'll, I'll let you have a couple. I know it's difficult. Yeah. Uh, so albums where you sort of ah yeah this one, and then you go yeah. I mean Stooges Funhouse, it's ninety nine percent there. But L.A. Blues, I don't. I can do without L.A. Blues. So I ended up with the uh, with the damn machine gun etiquette, yeah. which uh, I absolutely love, and I, and I love the cover and I love everything. Yeah, and I remember getting totally blown away by yeah. that intro. It sounded like almost heavy metal, and then you're just like, "What did they want?" <laughs> but they also, show, I mean, Captain Sensible is an absolutely brilliant guitarist. Yeah, and you have sort of these. It's an eclectic collection of songs it's not just like action-packed hardcore and um, so i think it's absolutely outstanding no i i agree I mean, it's one of those records where the sound is just even if you turn the volume right down it still blasts out a stereo doesn't it? it it's the sound of it is just so raw well I, I i agree with that um so do you want to pick a track from the album yeah why not take the first one love song yeah classic great bass line yeah Great choice. That was The Damned and Love Song from Machine Gun Etiquette, one of your perfect albums. So, as I said, it's a difficult choice. So, have you got any? I'll give you another pick. Yeah, thank you. I was struggling with Minor Threat, Other Step, or Black Flag Damage, but I have to go with Minor Threat, Other Step. I can listen to that album 10 million times over and over, and I still love it. It's something with the production and the Talked fantastic energy and and the cover is brilliant and 
Well, pick a track from Minor Threat. Out of Betray. Betray, yeah. That's a good, good choice. So let, let's hear it. Oh, that was a great track by Minor Threat called Betray from one of Ian Person's perfect albums, Out of Step. Uh, good choice, Ian. And so thanks for joining us today in our virtual studio. It's, it's been really great to catch up and uh, some fantastic song choices there. I know um, we could go on for hours because you've got such a great back catalogue now. And uh, where can people find out more about you? Um, what, where, have you got, do you have a website, Facebook page? Uh, yeah, I have a Facebook page and Instagram now when sort of summer is over, I'm meeting up with Kalle again and we're going to release three new score music. So The Eternal Road will be there and uh, another series we did called West of Liberty and uh, Box 21. And uh, Pablo Matisse, we have uh, like, I think, 10 new songs. So we have worked with them during this lockdown a bit. And hopefully we can, uh, I don't know if we're going to just release a, like two tracks at each time or if we do a new EP. And uh, I'm still working on my second solo album. And uh, hopefully that will be out, depending on sort of the COVID-19. Maybe it's better to wait until springtime, because if you can't come out to play live, it's, you might as well wait till a while. I think one song is going to be released anyway as a single, uh, which is called Forever and a Day. It's a duet with uh, this, a, a girl called Alice B. She usually sings in Swedish. Uh, I think, yeah, she has a band called Class of 84, where, where she sings in English. But she's a cool, cool chick from Gothenburg. I felt like she could be uh, a good teammate in this song. Yeah, she's got a great voice. And um, I've heard some new songs and they sounded great. So uh, 
recommend everybody keeping a check on Ian's uh, website and Facebook pages and obviously explore his fantastic back catalogue, which goes back to when you were like, what, 12 years old? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what I do, I put a link on the blog, www.retromanblog.com. I'll do a feature to go along with this episode um, with a full track listing and there'll be links to all of Ian's websites and bands and where you can buy all his fantastic music. So please keep a check on the, on the blog and look out for the new solo album. And we're going to play a track um, to end with. This is a fantastic forever and a day with Alice being Ian person. And um, we'll, we'll play out on that. So thanks very much, Ian. Great to see you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Cheers. This is um, forever and a day by Ian person. Mm-hmm.